Welcome to another episode of Tune the Fork. I have with me father, husband, founder of Art of Noise, and curator, Adrian Ferguson. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, brother. My bad, I left one out That's, that I oh. know is important. Oh. Morehouse man. That's it. That's <laughs> it. All the boxes have been checked. And shout out to the bros. Having a lot of practice of doing that in this mm -hmm. and then taking it outside of this and then using that in like day-to-day -day life or like my old lady or business decision I need to do and all that. Just trusting myself more, man. Trusting your gut and um, listen, I fail forward every day. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I fail forward every day. Yeah. And I get up every day to get another chance to try to get it right. And eventually you get it right. You do. You, know? you do. And uh, eventually you start saying, hey, this worked this time. Let me see if it can work another time. And then you try to add another component. Oh, well, this worked even better this time. Mm -hmm. Then you add another component. Oh, this didn't work as well. All right, so we're not going to do that. But we're going to keep the two components that already work together. And you keep building and building and building over time. And then you have a polished product yeah. or service. You know, And I think what you're doing the organic way is the best way is that we always come in with our own intentions and we're going to talk to this person because I want this, A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Whereas you don't even know if A, B, and C is what it is you need. Yeah. You know, you could need E, F, and G. Right. But you don't know that yet. And um, until you've done the research, until you've done the digging, and you say, I don't know what I want to get from this person. Mm -hmm. I see A, B, and C, but I'm also interested in X, Y, and Z. I actually... I, you know what? I think X, Y, Z is more my speed. You yeah. know? And I think this is why I'm aligned with this person mm -hmm. as opposed to what I initially thought. So, cause, and you don't, you don't know. That's why they call it. That's why they call the joints rabbit holes, man. rabbit like holes, you, man. You, yeah. you end up landing somewhere. You're like, wow, I do it a lot with music. Me too. Someone so, will send me something and I've never heard the guy. And next thing you know, all I'm doing is consuming all of that person's music or yes. maybe who played the bass on that on that album, on that on that record at that time. And then you just, you know, and, it, and you could do that with people. Absolutely. Like real life people. Yeah, great digger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the piece you said about falling forward, it makes me think about your son, dude. Mm -hmm. And how the way I was raised, my relationship to failure and how I was taught to perceive failure was something to actually avoid. Mm. Um, and never, it wasn't looked at as a part of the process of succeeding. Mm. So whenever I failed at something, to me it was a sign that that wasn't something that I was necessarily supposed to do, but to you know try to avoid it as much as possible. And as I've gotten older, I've recognized that Failing is actually a main ingredient of succeeding. And yes, you having a nine-year-old? He's, he's, he's nine, eight, and eight. It'll, be, it'll be done this year, yes. Okay. 
having an eight-year-old son watch his dad build something and pursue something and have all of these elements of what's perceived to be mm -hmm. failure and then to watch him win in the process of that as well, as a, as a black male figure role, man, seems like a very powerful um, position to have in the, in, in the life of your son, dude. Man, let me tell you, it is the most important position to have in this life, uh, is to lay, me to be able to lay a blueprint for another human being uh, is the reason why I get up in the morning. And he needs to see his father work. You know, I think children need to see their parents pursue their own goals and their own dreams and their own passions so that when they become of age, they have a reference point. Yeah. And they understand that my son has seen me win and he's seen me not win, you know? And that's a part of life. Now where I had to become a man in my journey was how I handled failure. And see, how I handled failure in front of him is very vital to how he perceives failure. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we have events where the turnout isn't the way, it, you know, I, I wanted it to be. We don't really quite hit our numbers the way we want. Or, you know, we have an exhibition where we don't sell as many pieces as we like, you know. I can come home and pout about it and, you know, hit the wall and, you know, close off. Yeah. Or I can see the lesson in it and say, hey, well, we did this, and why not try this way? Mm -hmm. You know, take the lessons learned and show him saying, hey, I don't always have it right. Just because I'm an adult doesn't mean I get it right. And I'm okay, it's okay to not be right. But what's not okay is when you stop trying. And, and that's it, what I try to do, instill in my son every day. That's a beautiful that's a beautiful example, man, because I, there are too many men, I feel, having conversations and anxiety and, and, and struggles around this concept of succeeding and, and, and failing mm -hmm. and being a positive example and not inviting their children into the process of what that is, but almost kind of like doing it on the back end and then having a ready-made product of a, of, a, of a father of what success looks like and says, oh, they don't need to be a part of that. And maybe, and, and what I liked about what you said was, it's how, as the man, how you handle the failure. And if you get to involve the child in the, the, the moments where you're not winning, it gives you an opportunity to reframe it in a way that is constructive for the for for the child to comprehend as opposed to it being destructive because if, if you leave it in your head you're going to say oh i really messed up i ain't nothing i ain't gonna never get nothing right i'll never know right. right you're not going to say that to your son absolutely not but if you if you if you communicate this failure and restructure it in a way you actually give yourself an opportunity to restructure how you tell yourself the story absolutely absolutely and Teaching somebody something reiterates it to yourself. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I think that's a... Some of us brothers, man, don't want to invite our kids, especially the boys, well, into something. Well, you know, I think as a, as a business owner, you know, everybody has to be on board. You know, and especially when you're a small business with a family, 
Uh, I believe it's important that your spouse has a buy-in and has a vested interest in what you're doing. And also your kids, you know, now they can have their own personalities and have their own interests, but they also have to have some type of investment and interest in what you're doing, you know, and you have to involve them. And it's an involvement. When you have a family business, you have to involve your family. There's no way around it. I mean, I can go out here and become a mogul and a baron and then Mm -hmm. pass it off to my son, but then how does how do I know he's going to appreciate it? Yeah. You know, how do I know, you know, and if I involve him in the process as we build this this institution, he can appreciate it. He's part of that process. This is part of his fabric. So when the time comes for me to be say, hey, here you go, you know, you you on the range now. He accepts it. Yeah. You know, as opposed to reject it, because there's plenty of stories where people are bought up. In a in a nice environment where they're giving everything, and the parents are just 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 shelling it to them, and they reject it and all. And they reject it all. Yeah. And I don't want that. So speaking of what you're building, you started Art of Noise. Yes, sir. In 2017. That's correct. What is Art of Noise, and what compelled you to to wanna to wanna start that? Art of Noise is an art and event space, okay? So I exhibit and sell art okay. of all mediums at Art of Noise. And in addition to selling and exhibiting art from local, predominantly local artists, people rent and utilize our space for various artistic disciplines. And the reason why I started Art of Noise was because I felt at the time there was a lack of intimate and flexible space, artistic space here in the DMV. You're located in Petworth, right? That's right. And um, you've been there the whole time? I have. So, um, crazy story. When we first opened in 2017, we were on Georgia Avenue proper. Um, And not long after we signed the lease, the landlord came to us and said, oh, by the way, I want to turn this into condos. Oh, man. uh, Yeah, man. You know, and I was like, had I known that, had you given me that information beforehand, that would have seriously impacted whether or not I would have chose this particular location. So here we are, a brand new spanking business within a year, and now we're forced to having to uproot and move again. So we're building our name. People are renting our space for different things. You know, artists are coming to us for for a variety of, of, of... of disciplines and people are just utilizing art and noise. We're trying to build our brand. Then I go, you know, leases up two or three months without a space, without a space because the previous landlord said, Oh, by the way. Mm. So I get a call from a Petworth resident who I was collaborating with at the previous space. And she got wind of a business that was, leaving Petworth because they had outgrown their space. So, and they knew that I was looking for a space, so she connected us two, went to go check out the spot, talked to the landlord. Landlord, of course, they did their research on Art and Norris. All right. So they said, well, what you do and what you're doing, this would be a perfect fit. We feel like it would be a great fit. And I was like, with the, you know, the new space, it wasn't, the old space had finished floors and white, white windows and a big open window. I mean, it was like everything I thought I, I needed at the time. Okay. This new space was raw. 
You know, there's no unfinished floor, uh, but it had natural lighting. And I was like, you know what? The universe is talking to me right now. Okay. And the universe is like, you have to be here in this neighborhood for X amount of time because we got work to do right here in this community. And I, I ended up saying, you know what? I listened to my intuition. I listened to the universe. And the stars aligned, and I was able to stay in Petworth um, at our new location, which is off of Upshur Street. Now, a, a Art of Noise is centered around three pillars. Correct. Art, film, and music. Correct. Music is your thing, right? It is. Okay. It is. So let's go back a little bit as it okay. relates to the music. Yes. Because I heard one of your interviews where you were talking about your mother taking you to choir practice, dude. <laughs> yes. And I used to sing in the choir, in Me the church too. choir. Okay, you did? I did as well. And those are some of my fondest memories. I hated Bible study. I hated all of that Sunday school and everything, but I loved, no, I take that back. I love Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, church was the actual service was the thing I didn't like the most, but I like singing in the choir. Understandable. What, uh, talk about the, what church and choir and all of that, what that meant to you at that, at that early age? Man, it was one, a chance to see my friends. Okay. Uh, cause most 95% of my friends grew up also in church. And their parents were in the choir. Now, Baptist church? Baptist church. Okay. And it was a chance for us to play in the pews and cause ruckus and, you know, whatever. You know, when you're a young kid. Right. That's what you can't do. stay at home by yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to go with mama. And, um, man, it was, it, was, it was what they were saying, you know, and, and who, they were, who they were singing to, you know, that kind of always kind of resonated with me. And it was always like, how can people sit up here and catch such emotion singing these songs on a Saturday night? You know, what, what, is, it, what is it that's driving? It, it was, that was the most intriguing part, but what was spawning, what was creating that emotion? And it was the connection. And it was the, what the music created that connection between who they were and where they were and how they got there mm. and what they went through to get to this place. And that connection to that higher being and that expression of love and rejoicement and thankfulness to that higher power through music is what resonated with me. Did you have that at that time with church music? I did. Okay. I did. Man, there used to be this um, choir, used to have this this, uh, piano director, I'm a piano player, his name was Ralph. I don't remember Ralph's last name. (laughs) Ralph had a jury curl. Shades. I mean, Ralph was a star in his route, in his own right. Okay. Untrained, but he, this man could play the piano unlike any other. Big man, just had a big, heavy presence about himself. And whenever this brother would get on the piano, he would bring the house down. Wow. I mean, it was almost as if you was at like a concert hall. I mean, you could hear this man's foot banging on this piano from way outside. You know, that's that that's how that's how that's how how strong this man was. And I always remember him playing in that way and with that type of energy. And that just made me look forward to it. You know, I was like, you know, I used to ask my mom, you know, is Ralph gonna be there? Is Ralph gonna be there? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I was like, why are you asking about Ralph? Because Ralph is the man. Yeah. 
You know, his, his jury curve was wet, and he was just he was just going. Now you a seventies baby, right? Eighties baby. Eighties baby. Eighties baby. So were you born in the eighties or seventies? Okay. Now an important point to note is for us, music was very different than it is now. Absolutely. And and even with church music, what what I like the even with church music and what they were singing about, it wasn't necessarily what they were saying. It was the, the harmonies Absolutely. and how when everything was in sync, there was this emotion or this feeling that was created when the tenor section and the sopranos and, and the, the altos, altos all hit. came together and it was like yes. that do 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 and then along with the with the with, with the, the piano with, with and the drums it was that that i was connecting to because i couldn't really relate to um what they were like the the the, the guy in the sky and how he was there for me and like i'm eight i don't have any frame of reference of paying a bill or having a struggle or need anything to overcome. But it wasn't, but I, I had that immediate connection in the way that you did, but it wasn't until I started tapping more into slow music, mm -hmm. R&B music, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. I like that girl, something's going on inside of me right. when I see her. I don't know what that is, but there's this, this, when they sing about this and there were no curse words and nothing in love songs Correct. back then, it wasn't too... Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, it wasn't too expletive. Thank you. you. Know? That was the word I'm looking it, for. It wasn't too expletive. And I grew up in a similar era. You know, like, I mean, the music that I listened to, even with church and the harmonies, you know, and the people and the voices together. Yeah. Like, I still, some of my pillars in my community were members and men and women in the choir, you know, who I look to as part of my village, mm -hmm. who have seen me grow up from before I can walk and remember to now. And who now have the privilege and the honor of watching my son grow up, you know, hearing their voices and their harmonies connect together. Uh, and people using the choir as, it was several people in the choir who were in R&B groups mm. back in the 50s and 60s and 70s who used the choir as the outlet. Yeah. You know, they weren't in the club no more. They yeah. was in the choir. Yeah. And even outside of, of the church, you know, I mean, I was growing up listening to Marvin Gaye, you know, who had a heavy spiritual influence in his music. Heavy. You know, very heavy. I mean, I was I was listening to, you know, um, what's my man's name? Um, Rance Allen. Rance, Rance Allen. Allen, who had, you know, he was he was a, a big time gospel singer. Okay. You know, something about that name, Jesus, but he also you know, was in um, had a secular in his in his in his younger career. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And um, you know, I mean, people like that. I mean, it was like, you know, Mississippi Mass Choir. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a little Jodeci sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then and then Queen Latifah. You know, poor righteous teachers. Yep. Yep. You know, N.W.A. X Clan. Arrested Development, you know, three times dope. There you, you know, go. I mean, Shy Day, you know, when all this stuff is just kind of coming all at once, you know. I mean, you know, I'm still old enough to remember Soul Train and, yeah, yeah. you know, all of that. So when the music is the hugest part, I would say, of 
my creativity and where my drive and my passion for art and noise is in creating that space for people to express themselves in a music capacity. Now, you collect vinyl, right? I do. And it's hard to collect vinyl and not look at the album covers and to not, like, those are, that's art. Absolutely. You know what I mean? were you connecting with the art portion of, or the or the visual portion of the art with the with the vinyl when you would when you would collect before before I knew it? Yes. Okay. I was uh, because my father was a big time vinyl collector. Okay. So, you know the you know the I Want You album, you know with Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. you know I mean Hear My Dear, you know I mean everything Parliament, you know all these and their crazy album covers, mm-hmm. Ohio Players. I mean, everybody, I was looking at these albums going, that's interesting, you know, and then hearing it and then seeing and making that connection or starting to make that connection with what they were saying based on what I was seeing. Now, when you when you had the pillars with art, music and film Mm -hmm. for Art of Noise, the art obviously is obvious, right? The visual piece, the paintings, the photography. What, what, did you always have the intention to use it as to encompass all three of those elements in some form or fashion, or did you did that did that shift over time? Uh, I've always had that. That was always the goal. Okay, that was always the goal is to provide a place in the house for art, music, and film. So we do more of art and music than we do film. I mean, part of my my goals for the next couple of years is to increase our film presence. Um, giving, you know, meeting more local filmmakers who would love to use Art of Noise to showcase film and have film series, you know, have discussions around film. Uh, that's one of my goals to build that up, you know, in the next couple of years. So when you, when you, when you sought to um, start Art of Noise, what did you feel was missing? What was it about the, 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 the DC landscape that, that you felt that, oh, there's my gap, there's my space. I can feel that need right there. Man, it was, it was you know, you want to go to see some art, you would go to, you know, Zenith Gallery or, you know, uh, Phillips, you know, you would go to these principal well-known galleries, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you would go to the Smithsonian's Museum. Uh, when you want to hear music, you know, uh, you know, before years ago, Howard Theater, you know, you know, um, Kennedy Center, you know, you would go to specific venues that were known for art or music or film. Neither one, you would rarely go to a space where you saw all three happen at the same time. And I wanted a place where that wasn't as structured and it wasn't as formal as these other institutions, much respect, and what they've done and what they've able to do and with who how they inspired me to do what I do. But I wanted to be able to have a space where people could do whatever it is they wanted to do, whether it's to listen to music, create music, create art, show their art, express themselves through music or song, spoken word. And I wanna and that's the need that I wanted to fill with art and noise is creating that flexible space for artists that I didn't see at the time in which we started Art and Noise. 
Now, a, a lot of the names that you referenced are spaces or bigger spaces. Big spaces. Which in my mind can make a, um, an up and coming artist feel as if those spaces aren't as accessible. Absolutely, absolutely. And Art of Noise is for that emerging artist. You know, um, Art of Noise is for that established artist. You know, so we're not excluding anybody, but we're making a more welcoming space for that artist who isn't quite there yeah. yet. And you're from here, right? I am. Okay. I am. Um, you've seen the shift. I have. I have. You've seen how a lot of the, you know, pillars of the black community have kind of gone to the wayside. So it's kind of, for me, it's hard to talk about what you're trying to establish without at least talking about how gentrification has played a For role sure. in making a lot of these spaces even less accessible to artists because they're being, they've been consumed by capitalism and, you know, just other interests. So you can't have a conversation about DC and art and business without having a conversation and mentioning gentrification. I think you're really doing the conversation a disservice when you try to avoid it. Because in my line of work, I experience it every day. Um, in the neighborhood that I'm in, I mean, one could heavily argue that gentrification is actively happening as we speak, every minute on the minute. And as a black business owner, okay, there's a fine line I have to walk. And I'm not, I don't shy away from that. Uh, and I'm very transparent about that. And the expectation is a lot sometimes higher for me than it would be for anybody else. And as a black man, my goal for Art of Noise is to be exclusive and inclusive without cutting anybody off, mm. okay? and it being a place that I uplift and promote black art. That's my mission, is to elevate and promote black art without excluding everybody else. Now that's a hard thing to do. Oh man. It's a very hard thing to do because are you black enough? Are you this, you know? Or then, then it becomes, well, yes, I am, because my pride is when I, the way I represent you to these other people. My pride, they'll see my pride when they come into Art of Noise and they see who's on the wall and who's in there. You know, I can't be, I would be foolish to think as a, as a business owner that you just cater to one specific group right. of people in this day and age. You can't do it. Artist-wise or just collectors, patrons, the whole nine yards. So I'm open to everybody, but I'm also in the back of my mind every day is creating and controlling our narrative and creating places where we control our narrative and can tell our stories to other people and ourselves. And traditionally, Art, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just going to throw a stream of some stuff out. So 
collectively as a black community, art just isn't something that we've invested in in the past. It's not this even something that we've offered unless it's been, you know, rappers or, or something along those lines. So it, it, as you're talking about mm-hmm. Art of Noise and what you're doing and why you're doing it, I feel like it has to be an endeavor that's more than just about money. Absolutely. So, you know, right now it's about educating and uplifting the culture, okay? And this is about educating our people about our beauty, teaching them how to collect art, what to look for. I mean, and these are the opportunity, and this is, our, this is my opportunity to elevate us as a people, to educate us about how do I collect art? You know, what should I be looking for? You know, where can I go that's a non-traditional space and still have a great time? You know, these are the things in which Art of Noise is doing. And it's a 10, 20 year climb. You know, this is a, this is a, this is a steady climb. It's not gonna happen overnight, and I understand that. But that's what we've signed up for, and that's what I'm committed to doing, is that you're right. You know, we grew up in a house where people may have bought a print, you know, or if you went to the old school house where they had the big wooden spoon and the, and the fork, you know, or, you know, the picture of Jesus, yeah. you, know, you know, somewhere in the house and Dr. King right next to it, and that was our art. Or the mask, you know, when you, when mm-hmm. you went there and people mm-hmm. had the African mask and, you know, uh, but there's a new generation. And I think this younger generation wants to be educated. They want to be elevated. And that's what Art of Noise is doing. And we're going to teach people substance because there's, there's substance in art. And there's more to what you see on television because they're not going to show you that yeah. on television. They're not going to show you a whole lot of that. And that's where we come in for the people who want it. And speaking of more than what you see, how you got here, man, was a pretty inspirational story. And listening to you write the idea down and put it on a piece of paper and carry that joint around with you was very, very moving for me as a person who was getting to, you know, know more about your story. I appreciate that. Now, Art of Noise is a building and a, and a space today, but before that, it was an idea. That's right. Man, I, the, the, the idea of Art of Noise came to me in college. Um, you know, and I've carried that with me to this point. Like, Art of Noise didn't happen in 2017. Art of Noise happened in 2004, 2005, I mean, early 2000s. And it was an idea. And it was an idea, and I said, you know what, this is how I'm gonna change the world. This is gonna be my gift to the world. And I had to table it, I had to put it down, pick it back up, but I never let it go. And it's that one thing, and, and that's how you know what it is that's real, is when you try to put it down, but you can't let it go. And I kept at it. And every now and then I would pull that paper out and I would see all the noise on there. And I would put it back. And I'd say, what can I do today to get to my dream? And it was like, you know, I prayed about it. 
I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And people don't take, people take prayer for granted. And people take, you know, talking to higher powers for granted. Whatever you put out there in the universe can come out, come right back to you. I asked for art and noise. I prayed for art and noise from then until now. And as you know, and that's why I treat it like a child. I treat it like a baby because this is my gift mm. to the world. And I can't take it lightly. And if people really understood my story, because it didn't start with these, you know, highlights and the community highlights. And I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful and I'm, I'm extremely thankful for these type of opportunities like this to be able to tell my story and to talk. But it's so much deeper than that. You know, I wake up every day and this is, this is in me. Yeah. And I woke up one day in college and it was in me. You know, I woke up with it and it was already in me when I was, you know, before that, listening to the, the quiet storm in the radio, you know, in, the, in mom and dad's car. It was in me when I was going to choir rehearsal. It was in me in church. And, you know, now in this stage of life, we're here and I'm able to live that. And one of the things I like about um, learning about your story is this idea of there are multiple forms of expressing or being an artist. Mm -hmm. You consider yourself a curator. Yes. And I consider myself a communicator. Right. And I use multiple mediums for that, but it still is a form of art. Being able to have this conversation what we create in this moment it's is art. a song yes. for me. Yes. And, my, and, and, and it's really what my relationship is to the dynamics and the elements that are at play. Mm -hmm. And when you choose for someone to come into your space or you move something in a certain way or you collaborate with a person and choose to bring them in, it's the relationship that I feel you have to these elements and your ability to move them around to create these emotions or even, you know, manipulate them in right. some way to communicate a very specific thing, whatever that thing is, you know, you're choosing to communicate at that time. So you might not necessarily be the person who painted the picture on the wall or wrote the song on the radio, but you can move these things around in a way that has a level of artistry associated with it that can that, that that can give you that title or that or, or that moniker of, of of artist in that way you know I, I tell people all the time we all have some noise to make and mm. we all have different type of noise your noise is communication my noise is curatorial gallery showing creating space you know, so one other person's noise may be fashion. That's how they express themselves. You know, another is music, and that's how a DJ, and that's how they express themselves. So we all have noise. Some people it's political, where they're mm -hmm. activists and they're fighting for people, and they're you know fighting on behalf of people, or marginalized people. That's their noise. So we all have noise to make. It's just so many of us go through life not figuring out how to make our noise. And is that how you came up with the name Art of Noise? Man, Art of Noise came up with, 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 a, with a group back in the day called Mo, uh, Moments in Love. There was a, it was a song called Moments in Love and it was a group that uh, created that song called Art of Noise. Okay. And noise that they spelled it was N-O-I-S-E, the, the original word. 
Now I took that and I heard that song, Moments in Love, and I was like, by Art of Noise. And I was like, you know, hmm, Art of Noise, I like that name. So I was like, I wanted to put my spin on it. And I said, you know, N-O-I-Z-E. So my noise is with a Z. What do you think is uh, next on the horizon for Art of Noise? Man, next on the horizon is, is, is to purchase a building. Purchase a, a brick and mortar. Okay. Um, Multi-level, preferably, um, where I can utilize different levels for different things at different times. That's on the horizon. Um, I would love to keep the location that we currently have and expand, um, either to Maryland or Virginia, uh, just to have that presence out there. Is it important for you to be in D.C.? It is. Um, culturally, um, historically, uh, we need a footprint in the city, and we need culture in the city, and I believe that I'm delivering that uh, through Art of Noise. And I think the city sees what I'm doing and what we're doing, and I want to be a partner with the city, you know, and help to bring more culture and preserving that culture here, not an enemy of the city. Have they been... Have they been um Responsive? So they have. Uh, I think the government, uh, D.C., there are other cities, I believe, that are more responsive and they understand the art community and what the artists need. And I think, you know, when you go to places like Baltimore and Philly and, you know, L.A., you know, they seem like they understand what artists need and, and they've cultivated an artist community there. I think D.C. is in the process of figuring it out. And the government is trying to figure out how do we communicate and how do we connect with the artists? Because like you said, there's a lot of artists who can't afford to live here. They have to leave D.C. ultimately for one reason or the other. Mm -hmm. My mission is to use Art of Noise so that that doesn't happen anymore. I want to be able to advocate and work with the city to create affordable housing for artists. I want to be able to work with the, with the government to be able to be a, a conduit so that when these grants are coming out, that the artist community, beyond who's plugged in and who's not, are able to get the same information that everybody else is getting in the same opportunities. So Art and Noise wants to be a conduit. And I want to help, and, and, and I believe that the government sees that's our mission, and we're working actively right now to figure out how we better do that. That's dope, man. Because I do, there there are a lot of artists who who are struggling, and mm -hmm. with the gentrification piece, you know, like everything is doing this for a certain constituency of folks, right. and then it's doing this for another. So you know, historically, in gentrification, and and not just you know speaking about D.C., but how gentrification works is is that they play on the culture to get people there, and then once the people are there. Yeah. They say, thanks, culture. Yeah. We no longer yeah. need you. And we got to stop that. It's one of the things that um, Sankofa, mm -hmm. up on Georgia Avenue, mm -hmm. they were, uh, they had to go in front of the, the city a few years back, and my, my lady um, went and, and testified on their behalf and 
one of the biggest challenges that they were talking about is, you know, it's nice to raise taxes. You know, there's a lot of benefit to raising taxes, mm -hmm. especially if you've owned it, because they've owned that building for, I guess, 20 years right. or whatever, that where, 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 where Sankofa yes. is. And now the taxes have been raised, are, are so high, that people who've been there for long periods of time are struggling. So yeah. they're looking for some relief, but you're, you've leveraged the culture, the people, to attract the level of value to even be able to charge this those. Which, absolutely. And now it's to a point to where the people who you use to do that can, can no longer afford, afford the taxes. It, it, there has to be a balance. Has to. There, there has to be. There has to be. And we elect people who are smart enough, who think we, they, we, 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 we instill our confidence in them mm -hmm. to be able to figure this out. Yeah. And I think that's where we got to hold our officials accountable from the creative artist community is what about us? Yeah. Understanding how are we going to sustain and how are you going to create a, a, a place where we can sustain? And if you can't do that, then you don't need to be in office. And that's, and that's where we have to become more vocal with taxes are going up. Okay. But where's the cap? <laughs> right. It has to be one. <laughs> where's the cap? Yeah. You know, where's the cap? So, I mean, it's, it's, we, we have to understand that we have political power too. We have to understand from a, from an art community, from a, from, a, from an African-American community that we have to understand what our political agenda is and that we have to hold our political appointees and the people that we put in office to that fire. And that ain't sexy. And it's not sexy, it's not pretty. You gonna lose some people, but yep. that's how we survive. You chose to you chose to embark on a pretty difficult endeavor, man, as a right? And we were talking about falling forward mm -hmm. and just being persistent. That's not a quality that a lot of people embody. Where did you get that from? Life has a weird way of humbling you. Um, and I think when you finally submit to the higher cause. And I think for me, it happened around like 2015 for me when I had this idea of where I thought I wanted my life to go in this, in this, in this particular direction. And um, it didn't, I was comparing myself to my peers and I found myself comparing myself and, me and measuring my success to my community, to the pillars, to the people, the successful people that I knew growing up, you know, the people I went to school with. And one day it was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I running somebody else's race? And when I started to focus on me and my race, that's when I became okay with failing forward because I knew I was running my race and I can still see that finish line. I can still see that line up there. I'm not worried about what they're doing over here. I'm not worried about what they're doing over here. More power to them. Right. Because when you're in your lane, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. So that, that's where that, that failing forward 
is, is that I'm going to get up and this is on me. This is about me. And even if I fail, I'm still improving. And I had to get that mind. And once I got that mindset, the rest is going to be history. So you've been married for 13 years. Yeah. To a black woman. To a black woman. Okay, I got I to gotta say that. <laughs> I do. He didn't say it, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> That's an important piece, right? It is. And I'm going to tell you, um, my wife is amazing. You know, and and she's my best friend, and she's my biggest cheerleader. Mm. And um, it's so important to have a spouse believe in you. It's so important to have a spouse that wants a home full of peace and love. Um, when you don't have that, and you don't have that support system and that refill coming in, it's hard, man. Because the world is unforgiving. Yeah, it is. It's unforgiving. And the world doesn't treat you better, better just because you're a nice person. And it took me a while to learn that. But you have to be able to come in there and plug in and recharge. And my wife has been able to be my recharge and my inspiration for 13 years. And, you know, it, when I came there with Art and Nora, she said, that's a dope idea. You know, let's do it. And then, like, you got to find a teammate because life and a partner, because you can't do this thing alone. We're not meant to be alone. You could have your reservations about marriage and the formality of it. I can hear all of that. And I understand people who say, hey, I don't want a traditional marriage. I understand that. I'm not here to convince anybody that a traditional marriage is or is not the way to go. Yeah. But I will say that I'm a better man with a, with, with, a, with a loving wife and a son than I think I ever could be without one. Is that, uh, that example to your son is huge too. It is, it is, but you know, life is just such a unpredictable because he could grow up and have his own definition of marriage. You know, but at least I'm giving him and we're giving him a foundation yeah. to build upon. The problem is, is when people don't have no foundation. That's what I'm, yeah. Yeah, and they you. have no foundation and all you're doing is speculating. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, you're seeing what you've seen on TV and, and movies as you're trying to recreate that. Yeah. Which is, we're really never been designed to be recreated. It was supposed to be entertainment. Yeah. And I feel that it's important, but it's also important to allow your children to become who they are. And you have to love them for who they are and who they become because you created them. And they may say, hey, you know what? Mommy and daddy, you know, were married for this long. Yeah. You know, maybe I want this. Maybe I don't want this. Yeah. You know? I think it's the I think it's the um, example. I heard some people say the best thing two people the best thing parents can do for their kids is love each other and show the, in, in front of their kid. And and I, and I remember thinking, oh, okay. So at least there's an idea of what love looks looks like, and feels it like. feels like, of course. But, and that is the example and the support as a you know. 
as it relates to that piece. Well, that's, that's the crux of it, you know, is the example, right? So between Gen X and millennials, a lot of us grew up with single parents. You know, parents that were never married or they divorced along the way. So our idea of what it looks like is based on what we experienced or did not experience. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the older generations failed us, um, is that they grew up in a society and then took that away from us. And they changed the rules but then held us to a same standard. Yeah. And I think that's where they got it wrong. And I think where you see this whole radicalization of societies happening is that people are just divorcing themselves from these morals and, you know, to say, hey, baby boomers, we love y'all, but <laughs> we couldn't accord. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't yeah, yeah, accord. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to do it this way. We're just yeah. going to start from ground zero and we're going to redefine what a man is, we're gonna redefine what a woman is. Everything. We're gonna redefine roles, responsibilities, and everything. Uh, because this ain't it. But then the question becomes, well, what is it? Yeah. And have we found it yet? I don't think so. And I don't think Gen X or millennials are gonna to get to that promised land of society where we can live each other together and, and be in that, in that perfect society and that where everybody's living amongst each other and letting people be who they are and love how they want to love. Yeah. I think it's the generations after us Agreed. that are going to figure it out. We're we, going to lay the blueprint for them to build upon, but it, we won't be able to experience that. And, 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 and you can't have it all. You can't. That's, that's one of the things that I feel is trying to be sold. You can't go do each and every single thing you want to do without there being any ramifications to those decisions. I, it, you, there is a consequence for every action. Yes. Okay, good or bad. And whoever's listening to this has said, there, we make choices in this life. And we have to be responsible for those choices. And whether we were in a right state of mind or not, you made a choice. And we always have to be mindful of that is that the decisions that we make affect not only us, but everything around us. And we have this notion, and, and that's where I think we're getting it wrong, is that this mindset that I can have it all, I can be it all, no, you can't, and that's why you're exhausted. Yep. That's why you're frustrated, is because you're trying to have it all. Why don't we focus on small things? Mm -hmm. What am I good at? What am I not good at? What, 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 what can I live with? You know, why don't we start with this plot of land and cultivate it and make it ours? Yeah. Put <laughs> some tomatoes point. on the yeah, joint. And, and everything. But we want the whole block. But we don't even know how to cultivate our own little plot. And it's baby steps. Yeah. It's baby steps. I tell people all the time, man, I can't explain to you how to fix world hunger. But I know that I can ask you if you want something to eat. That's it. That, and I, if I can do that powerful, lovingly. As genuinely and as and and, and um, as as I can, that can propagate out to whatever degree that gesture can. Man, people will never remember your name. They might not even remember your life details, 
But one thing they will always remember is how you made them feel mm-hmm. and how you responded to them in their time of need. Yep. They will always remember that. And that's what I try to tell my son. That's how I try to treat others with a certain level of dignity and respect. Ain't about status. Ain't about status because we all got a role in a lane to play. You got to treat people the way because it's going to come a day in which they're going to have to pay it forward. And they're going to think about what you did for them. And they're going to be a blessing into somebody else. I say feelings are contagious. Love is contagious. Anger is contagious. Mm-hmm. It's contagious. And how we treat each other is how somebody's going to treat someone else. How I treat you, if I came in here and been a jerk and whatever, you could easily go out of here and say, man, you know what? Some, you know, go to the store and say, man, bug off. You know, yeah, be a yeah. jerk to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to understand that how we, how we, we, we are, we are what our dreams. We are, we hold the key of what we want society to be in the future. We, we, we hold that. We, I, if I want a better loving world, I got to be a better loving person. Yeah. Not just to the people I know, not just to the people who look like me, not just to the people who listen to what I listen to. I got to be a better loving people, person to everybody. And that's part of the human experience of where we're not at yet, is that the next evolution of the human experience is how do we learn how to live, love together without war? How do we let other people live who don't, who don't look like us, who don't love like us? How do we let them have the same peace in pursuit of happiness that we have? And I think it... it, it, it a part of answering, a part of solving for that, I feel, is trying to identify the incentives to do that. What is the what what incentives can be in place that promotes loving another person more? Because well, all the incentives now are wrapped around in dissension, for well, the most part. Helping others in turn helps yourself. Okay, I mean. When you're helping others, you're creating opportunities for yourself. And the, the better response you get creates more opportunities to help somebody else. In business, if I'm a bad customer service, you're not going to come back. But if I give you good, a good experience, you're going to come back. But as a business owner, you're incentivized to do that. I'm incentivized to that from a business, but from a personal standpoint, right? I would say is that... How am I incentivized to help a person cross the street? I would say you're in, that is, I believe, we can't, we're all not going to have the same incentives. And we're all subjective on what we think our incentives are and what, how we feel and, and what the end game is. But I would say for something like that, I would say because doing the right thing makes you feel good. There's something, there's a feeling that you have when you're doing the right thing versus the feeling you have when you're not doing the right thing or you're questioning your decision. And every human has that instinct gut feeling, whether we listen to it or not, in which when you're doing the right thing, you know and feel like you're doing the right thing. There's no, there's no second guessing. There's no frustration about it. There's no, you're just doing the right thing. You're not even looking for a reward. But when you're not doing the right thing or you have a chance to do the right thing and you don't, it comes back to you. So the incentive is, is, is the self. It, it, so it, it's not a, um, 
it's not like a a, a communal incentive. No, I think get. the community. I think you're right. The community. The, the incentive is the self. I think the community. The, the incentive is self improvement, self happiness, self joy. I think that's the incentive. Which. There's no outward incentive. <laughs> it's like it's like if I um, I was telling somebody the other day I could I am incentivized to talk about working on my issues with mm-hmm. my mother as an example. Mm-hmm. So I can come on here and say, yeah, you know, I had a conversation with my mom the other day. I'm not so. Publicly, mm-hmm. I'm incentivized to do that. Right. But publicly, I'm not incentivized to actually go fix the relationship with my mother. Right. That's a that's that, a personal. That's a that's, personal, that's personal right win mm-hmm. that I get no public acknowledgement for whatsoever because it's an internal thing. Right. And so when I'm so when we're talking about like living in that world, like the next phase that I can't remember exact words you were using, it was. Either switching the value of the incentive, especially now with everything being so social media focused right. and promoting things online, take a picture, look at me. All of these are outward expressions of things that you're incentivized to continue to perform. Right. But the internal work, the actual real work of loving your neighbor, forgiving someone, helping someone across the street who needs it, listening more, you know, showing up when you're supposed to. These are these are things that you don't that there are no gold stars in life for that stuff, but it's actually the things that are the most meaningful. It's the most meaningful and the most important. Yeah. So, but you know that, that's that's also you know do the right thing when nobody's watching. I'm sure you've heard of that. Oh before, yeah, yeah, right. And social media where everything is based on likes and numbers and you know getting a reaction out of people is knowing that you're going to do the right thing, knowing that you may not get a reaction. Mm-hmm. The only reaction that matters is your reaction yeah. and how you feel about doing it. It's still, we live in a self-oriented, self-centered society, but it's another spin on self-centered and self-centered. It is. You know, You're so. right. So in, in treating other people fairly, mm-hmm. I always think about what our perception of vulnerability is as it mm. relates to that. Mm. And you being in the work that you're in, I'm sure puts you in a position to be with people who are relatively vulnerable. There's no there's no one more vulnerable than an up-and-coming artist or yeah. a starving artist or someone who's who's trying to quote unquote make it because your your space largely is 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 available to people and accessible from a from a monetary standpoint mm-hmm. also to you know people who are who are coming up when you're choosing to curate or who's going to come on like how do you if i wanted to be if i wanted to showcase at, at art of noise and i come meet you somewhere and you know you're how how would i get on so one you know People submit their proposals or their 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 interests online. You know, I mean, artofnoisedmv at gmail.com. You know, is you know a r t o f n o i z e d m v at gmail.com. You can submit. Hey, I'm an artist. I'm looking. You know, potentially looking to show some work. Here's a portfolio. Uh, take a look. 
look at the work. Okay, some of it's compelling, you know, some of it's not. Now, I'll be honest, every art piece doesn't speak to me. Okay, and I'll be lying to you if I said it, it does. <laughs> and just some Thank things, you for your honesty. Yeah, 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 everything doesn't speak, you know, and that's okay because it's not supposed to. But if it does, then it becomes a more of a more of a dialogue and a discussion. And then it's a follow-on. I don't work with any artist that I don't have a good feeling about. Initially meeting that person. I have to like you. I have to have to have an interest in you as a person. You know, even outside of the art, you know, I have to like you as an individual. If I can't like you as an individual, I'd be fooling myself. Yeah. You know, because pushing and selling art is is I mean, I have to have a vested interest yeah. in this art and in this artist. So that's my my process. So they say, you know, people always ask me this, where do you meet your artists? I go to different exhibitions at different galleries. I go to art fairs. Um, I got my ears to the ground. You know, I get, I work off of recommendations from previous artists that I've worked with. Um, and it's been working so far. Good. You know, um, I'm always looking for artists. I'm always looking for new voices, new, 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 new ideas, you know, um, and um, if people have them, you know, shoot, let's hear it, let's see it. So what's next for, what do you, you've got some events coming up? Sure, so I mean we have a, a new art exhibition that's opening up on uh, this weekend, March 18th, uh, with a local uh, painter, her name is uh, Greta Chapin McGill. Uh, she's a Washingtonian, a Howard grad, an amazing painter. Nice. Uh, through, and that exhibition is called A Woman of Color, and it will be on view through April 30th. Also, what we have is we have our monthly open mic. Uh, a lot of people have been catching wind. It's called Sessions at Art and Noise. It's okay. an open mic for MCs, spoken word artists, uh, musicians, poets, um, the whole nine. Vocalists, they all come out. Um, I have a DJ there, people bring their keyboards, their drum sets, and uh, they just make music on the spot, and, and at the end of the night, it's all just one harmonious fabric. So, and that's going to be March 19th, and then the one in April is scheduled for April 23rd. And what are the times for it? 5 to 7.30. Perfect, perfect. Well, make sure you check the brother out. He's for the community, he's for the people, he's for art. He's uh he's he's the kind of he's the kind of man and business owner you wanna you wanna know, you wanna support. And uh and we're really thankful to have you on, man. Thanks for having me. God bless you, bro. God bless you, thank you.